Women, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat. I will be your host. We are here with producer Kyle, and we are also here with SNY's own Michelle Yu. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Alexa. How are you? Thanks Good. for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. So we want to address something right off the top. We're going to date the podcast just a little bit, but I think it's worth it for the news that we just found out about. Prince has died. And we were all just kind of sitting here previously talking about what he meant to us and how much he's meant to the culture. And I'm just going to start off by saying, you know, I wasn't the biggest Prince fan in terms of sitting around listening to his albums. And I'm not going to pretend that now that he's passed away, he's my favorite artist of all time. But he he did mean so much to the culture. And When Doves Cry is like my favorite karaoke song. So that's super fun to me. And I love that people geek out so much when he does show up because recently he's been pretty elusive. But the fact that he was an icon and has influenced so many musicians who are my favorite musicians is something that I can always appreciate him for. Are you a Prince fan? Or did he influence you at all growing up in terms of what kind of music you listen to? I'm sort of like you. I wasn't a huge Prince fan growing up, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't having him on repeat on a soundtrack. But you know what? When I was in college, I definitely danced out and rocked out to him all the time. Uh But I really appreciated Prince because of who he was and what he represented, you know, Mm -hmm. in the music world. He had style. He didn't give a crap about what people <laughs> thought of him. Yeah. Um, he would wear makeup and walk into a room and say, yep, this is who I am. You yep. know, And I think that the appreciation for him that people have is not only his music, but what he represented and also... Um, how you can just be yourself. And that was exactly what Prince was. Prince didn't give a crap who you thought he was, but he said, you know what, this is who I am and accept me. And people did. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, were able to be themselves because Prince was was himself. And that was really important. Kyla, were you a big Prince fan? I don't know that I was ever a really big Prince fan, but I've always respected Prince. Yeah. Um, his death, I guess, doesn't affect me in the same way that Bowie's did. I, I put the two of them together. But I love Prince. I love the quirkiness that he always had. I love that he did the Batman soundtrack uh, with Keaton in 1989. And I love that he was totally cool with Dave Chappelle's making fun of him in one of the greatest Chappelle show skits ever. And then came back a few years ago and released a signal, uh, a single with Dave Chappelle on the cover, dressed as him. And he sort of like threw it back at Chappelle. And it was he was a quirky guy and everyone could kind of respect that. Plus, I mean, he was a great musician. He yeah. really was a great guitarist. Like all the instruments he would play, he'd come out. He played the sitar on one album that just sort of like blew people away. He did weird things, and you have to love and appreciate that. Yeah, he was an icon, a legend, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see all of the tributes that all of the musicians and artists come out for. Um, and and you know, he's definitely going to be represented at all of the award shows throughout the year. So it'll be, oh yeah, yeah, it'll be I cool mean, to see how that I happens. I think he also represents a lot of happiness to people because you can't go to a nightclub without having a good time. Time That's listening a good point. to one song um, with Prince, you know, there. So I'm sure all of us have gone to a nightclub. We've danced to one song with Prince and thought, hey, what a great evening. So I equate him with happiness because he brings joy to people. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So from one iconic career to the next, Michelle. Yeah, hardly. <laughs> you like that segue? <laughs> uh, let's talk about you in the business, how you got in the business, uh, kind of the what and why. So first of all, did you always know you wanted to be a journalist, an anchor, a sports? journalist in specific, you know, where did that come from? 
growing up? Well, it's funny. So I'm, you know, I'm Asian American. I'm Chinese, and my parents are Hong Kong immigrants. And um, you know, being a sportscaster is not something that we knew what to do or how to go about. But ever since I was like, I would say, ten to thirteen years old, I've always wanted to be a sportscaster. Well, I always wanted to be two things. I wanted to be either a professional tennis player uh-huh. or a sportscaster. And then I played tennis tournaments, you know, in the city. I grew up in the Bronx, and I got my ass kicked in like tournaments that really mattered. And I said, okay, it's time for me to think about something else. What <laughs> can I do next that can really um, help me enjoy sports, but really still be immersed and be involved? And I wanted to be a sportscaster. Um, I was a huge NBA fan growing up. I was not a Nick fan. Okay. I was a Michael Jordan fan, okay. just like every kid around my age. Were you a Bulls fan or just a Jordan fan? I was or? a big Bulls fan. Okay. Like I skipped my high school prom to pay and scalp tickets to go to a Knicks Bulls game. Wow. So uh, everyone always asks, like, how was your prom? I said, well, I never went to my prom. They're like, oh, back then, they're like, oh, you're such a loser. But and now everyone's like, oh, you're so cool because right, you never right. went to your prom because you <laughs> went to go see Jordan play. <laughs> so um, that was, you know, really exciting for me, you know, c- to go watch him play at the Garden. So you know what? I'm not a Knicks fan. So ev- now I cover the Knicks. And then when I go, I'm just shaking my head because I'm like, yeah, well, you know, some things don't change. This is still not a winning culture. Do you have? Did you have one team growing up that you were a big fan of? The Bulls. Okay, I love the. I still follow the Bulls. I like the Bulls. Um, You know, ever since. Um, there was the NBA lockout and then Jordan retired. There was a little bit of a lull where I was like outgrowing the NBA a little bit. Okay. But then I got back into it and I really loved it. I mean, I am such a hard, diehard Bulls fan, like growing up that when I go to the casino now and go to the roulette table, I play all Chicago Bulls numbers. Like Whoa. 25 for Kerr, 23 for Jordan, 33 for Pippen, 7 for Coach. Like I'm there with all the Bulls numbers. Have you ever won any money playing their numbers? I have still. Steve Kerr has won me a lot of money. Wow. <laughs> Give it up for Steve Kerr. Yes. I'm going to have to play his number from now on. Exactly. Yeah. A little 25. I, I throw in Reggie Miller. He didn't play for the Bulls, but you know what? He was a Nick hater. Yeah. So I threw 31 in there once in a while. Okay. Um, you know, I rooted for the Pacers when they played the Knicks. You know, that big game with Spike Lee mm-hmm. um, and Mark Jackson and Reggie with the six seconds. And, you know, they won the game. Like, ever since then, I was like, oh, Reggie Miller is really cool. He hates the Knicks and he oh is a Knicks killer. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Born in the Bronx, she hates the Knicks. She I really- Love it. You are effectively rooting for everything that ruined my childhood years. Just watching <laughs> Patrick Ewing every time try and be a hero for this city and just get crushed by uh, everyone. By Miller, yep. then by Jordan. Just It was so unfair for Patrick Ewing to try because he had to go up against these greats all the time, and I was just I was like an eight-year-old kid just bawling my eyes out because I watched him lose. you know, those Nick teams back then, I mean, I was sitting at the edge of my seats watching those games because, you know, you have Oakley, Harper. Um, I mean, I know you're not a Charles Smith fan. I mean, he was in that team. I don't know anyone who is a Charles Smith, a Nick <laughs> fan who is a Charles Smith fan. But I'm just saying, like, you know, those Nick teams were very gritty. So it was. I was always on the edge of my seat watching. They never won in the end, they, really, but it was still fun to watch. They were a tough team. They didn't have Jordan, which is what it came down to. Yes. They did, if they had Jordan, they would have been great. They didn't. I mean, I respect them. Yeah, but for how being, many teams can say that? A no, lot. I know. I mean, but you know, that, there are a lot Nick of guys teams, who don't have rings because Jordan existed, and they Nick had great careers. So close. They were they so were close, close to being champions, and Jordan was the factor that just stopped them every single time. Yeah. Like, well, that just goes to show you that Patrick Ewing wasn't Jordan. Right, but that's also why he gets a pass in this city. Patrick yes. Ewing gets a pass for not winning a championship because everyone realized he was up against greatness nonstop. Well, I actually have a lot more respect for Patrick Ewing than I do for Carmelo Anthony. 
And I say Why that, is that? Yeah. I, well, I say that because, you know, Carmelo Anthony likes to compare himself to the LeBrons and the Kevin Durants and, you know, the Kobe's of the world. Mm-hmm. But I mean, let's face it. I mean, until up to recently, LeBron went to Miami and he won a couple of rings. But before that, he was in the same category as Melo. And Melo has no rings. And Melo has always needed that, you know, sidekick. It hasn't worked out for him, but at the same time, like, I just feel Carmelo Anthony is just not up to a status like a Kobe or an MJ. And it was so sad to see Kobe retire mm-hmm. because he really gave it his all. I can't say that Carmelo Anthony comes out and gives it his all every game. I agree. We've talked about this several times in the podcast, I, Kyle. I, I don't like think the effort is there. No, but I feel like he did this year. I feel like this year he got in, he was a bit more of that team player. Like he sort of realized he has to step up a little bit more, but it also shows that he well, can't because do it Well, because Kristaps Porzingis comes on the scene and it's such a difference between the two of them when they're both on the court at the same time when you've got this young guy who all he does is give effort yeah. and then you've got Carmelo who at this point in his career Carmelo doesn't give effort and Kristaps Porzingis is giving effort how does that make him look as a next leader so I almost think that it was great for the rookie to come here and give him a little bit of a push but you can't sit here and tell me that he gives 100% effort he is all you know Always in New York, you know, going to an event, going out with Lala, going clubbing. You see him brand his own thing. He, Carmelo Anthony likes his branding. He does. Carmelo so, likes himself he's not, some he's Carmelo. He's not the only athlete who likes his branding. Though. Yes. But and you, I don't know that you can fault the athlete. But he is the least successful athlete that yes. loves that, himself. That is a good distinction. I, I can't argue with that. For sure. But you can't fault these guys for Kobe watching after branding, themselves. Kobe likes branding, but when it comes to basketball, Kobe says it's time for basketball. Right. Has it been time for and basketball he's, he's over the last like, four years? Though he's yeah, kind of broken but he's down. Got he rings. could, he could he's have retired got rings. A while ago. He has yes. rings, and when he when he um, wanted to win that ring without Shaq, he said, "I'm going to do it," and he did. Yeah. He was those years. He was so determined. Yeah. He's like, "If I'm going to win another ring, I'm going to show Shaq that I can do it. I'm going to do it." And, and if Carmelo wanted to do that, there's a chance that he could, but he just doesn't have the effort or the the work ethic, I don't think, to be able to put forth that that sort of you know mentality. I just don't think he's that kind of player. He, he is a pure scorer, but I don't think he's that guy who's going to will the team around yes, him. Yes, he's not. He's not He's not LeBron. He's not um Well, Curry. which is, speaks to he's your point, which Kobe. is that he puts himself in the category yes. of guys who do yeah. that, and he doesn't. But those guys have those leadership intangibles that I don't necessarily know that Melo has. When, I agree. when Melo played on Team USA, surrounded by all these great players. Melo really stood out as far as the premier scorer on that yeah, team. Oh, he's a, he's a but he wasn't the shooter. guy. He's oh, a he's great talented. Scorer. Yeah. There's no Absolutely. question about that. But he wasn't the guy leading the team. Right. You know, there were other guys around him who were dictating where people should be and how they should play. And, you know, you're listening to your coaches and all that. But Melo was just like, all I've got to do is go out and shoot and score. Here's another and he did difference. There were so many games this year, especially, you know, watching the games, you know, in the newsroom before, you know, we did shows. Mello had a chance to win several games at the end. Yeah. And he was caught laughing when he missed. I remember there was one game a few months ago where he missed a three. It was an awful three. And then they lost the game. But there was a shot of him laughing. That is not something you would ever see Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron do. Yeah. That's because they would be embarrassed and said, crap, I should have made that shot. This is what I need to go to the gym to do the next day. I'm going to shoot 53s in the gym and make sure that this is going to happen. Totally. And he laughs it off and you see him at a movie premiere the next night. 
It's not something that's ingrained in him to work hard. He feels like he has it all. He's got the money. He's got the wife. He's got the status in New York. It doesn't appeal to him to also want to be a winner for some reason. He doesn't have that extra drive that he can kick on that says, you know what? I actually want this championship. He can talk about it all day, but when it actually, you know, when it comes to action, he just doesn't, he doesn't do it. Yeah. It's that killer instinct that he lacks. Yeah. So any other, so were you a football fan growing up? Were you a hockey fan or was it just strictly NBA? Um, I was a huge basketball and tennis fan. I did like football. I was a Giants fan growing up, okay. but I'm not, I'm not, I'm a casual football fan. Okay. Like I will watch and I root for the Giants. Um, I'm not, back when I was growing up, I was rooting for Jeff Hostetler. Um, I don't know why. I had a crush on the kicker, Matt Barr, <laughs> <laughs> which is so really strange. And I, I don't think I've ever told anyone that. Um, so Maybe I, we can get Matt Barr on the podcast and see how he responds to yeah, that. Exactly. So um, I was a Giant fan growing up. I watched them, um, but it was I was really into like basketball. That was really my thing. And of course, I love tennis because I wanted to be a professional tennis player when I grew up. So getting back to that point, you know, I was 13. And you know when you're in eighth grade and you get those like autograph books and people like write like, oh, good luck, you know, with your future or whatever, along with the yearbook. Yeah. So I was at my mom's house like uh, over Christmas and I found this book. And that book actually said they were like... 10, 15 little notes from students um, from my classmates back then that said, good luck in being a sportscaster. I know you do it one day, (laughs) which is so funny because, I mean, this is a dream job, you know, and for it to come true, that's just something that you just look back and you're like, wow, this is just so neat and so cool. Totally. Because most people are like, good luck being a firefighter. (laughs) Good luck becoming president of the United States. I think most of mine were like, Good luck continuing being funny. No one really expected me to like do anything. They were just like, oh, anytime somebody mentioned me, it was like, oh, he's just funny. It was so, like, see you at the pool this summer, yeah, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like any aspirations. Never a career so. ambition. Yeah. Hopefully so, I'm still funny. So how did your sports fandom take you into your career? Well, you know, one thing I always tell college kids, you know, internships are so important. Um, I went to Manhattan College in the Bronx. I played tennis, you know, on the tennis team there for a couple of years, but I actually quit my senior year because I uh, came into Manhattan to do internships. Like I did internships at MSG Network. I did um, internships for the Today Show, um, CBS. So like I was like an internship whore. Mm-hmm. Like I actually did internships all semester and would be in the city like all the time, you know, trying to network, trying to like learn about the business. Um, then I joined um, the Asian American Journalism Association and I met all these journalists and it was so inspiring and so cool to, you know, have people support you. Mm-hmm. And even back then, you know, there are not a lot of Asian female journalists in sports. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I was talking to Om Yamasuk, you know, from the ESPN.com and, yeah. and he's been a friend, you know, for years and um, he's been so supportive. And Michael Kim of ESPN, you know, um, you know him. He actually was in D.C., you know, for a while. Yep, so yep. Uh, Michael Kim, I consider a big mentor and he has um, always helped me. So he helped me get into television at College Sports Television, which is now CBS um, Sports Network. Okay. Not the main CBS, but CBS uh, Sports Network. It's right, right. on. Um, it's on cable. But so I worked there as a production assistant. I was actually Michelle Beadle's researcher. Oh, that's so funny. So she's she was so cool, and um, she still is. By the way, I met is. her a couple weekends ago, and she is fantastic as fantastic can be. And usually, when you go meet somebody who's your idol in the business, you're always a little hesitant. You never know exactly how it's going to pan out. She was 100 percent exactly how I thought she would be. She's sarcastic. She's funny. She offered advice. Witty, witty. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Great. And so I worked with her, and also 
Greg Amzinger, who's on MLB Network. Oh, yeah. And Adam Zucker. Uh-huh. So, like, I watch them and, like, I would be delivering, like, you know, research notes and stuff. I'm like, God, you know, like, I, I want to do this. I really want to do this. So I took a, a step back, actually. I took a pay cut because I went to – I started out doing this um, – High school sports show, which Alexa, you're very aware of. Yeah, <laughs> Michelle um, actually gave me my first, or she helped me get my first on air job ever, sidelining at uh, at Sports Time, doing stuff in, at Time Warner Cable in Staten Island, where Michelle used to work. And when I asked her, you know, if she had any contacts, she could help me out. She set me up with essentially my first job. So if I ever win an Emmy or any sort of you know award, she's going to be Michelle one of the you. first. Yeah, I'm with my statue. I'm going to thank you, Michelle, oh, you for getting me in the business well, for sure. We both came out of that, right? Because um, I started working there, and I got paid twenty five dollars a day, <laughs> okay, to do a package. I mean, people bitch and complain now, but I got $25 a day after working a five-day week at college sports television to do high school football and like do stand-ups and do like reports and packages. Did you have a cameraman or were you one-man banding it? Or um, I was sometimes I one-man banded and then sometimes I had a cameraman, mm-hmm. but I had to take a bus like from Port Authority to New Jersey to like all the schools and stuff. So I did that for three months and then luckily that turned into um, New York One had an opening to do like Bergen County sports and like Staten Island sports stuff. Uh-huh. So I went to New York One and became a full-time um, sports reporter. And I um, shot my own stuff, wrote my own stuff, edited my own stuff. I mean, that was schlepping. Yeah. You know, that is like the definition of doing your own. Like, people are like, oh, Michelle, you didn't pay your dues because you've been in New York. No, honey, I paid my dues because I did it for four years and drove around the five boroughs with some crappy car with gear and like had to like... Um, do my own shoots and like set everything up on my own. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I did it here in New York, but sometimes you can argue that that's even more difficult because totally. It's New York and with City. very little training, it's not like somebody goes out with you and shows you every single step of what to do. You learn a lot on the job. Yes, absolutely. And then when you get lost on Staten Island or or <laughs> Brooklyn in some area that you've never been or seen in your entire life, even though you've lived in New York your entire life, you're just like, oh God, where? What am I doing with myself? <laughs> you know. Um, but you know what? I have to say that was the best experience that I've ever had because it really set me up, you know, for what was to come. You know, um, I, I worked there for four years, as I mentioned, and then um, I came to SNY and auditioned here at SNY and, you know, the rest is history. But um, I, I really believe that the goal was, you know, to really prepare yourself to work your way up. I mean, there's so many interns now that just come up to you and they're just like, hey, I want to be on television. I want to be on air. And I'm like, okay, well, who doesn't? Right. But what are you going to do about it? Right. So I, my advice like to kids nowadays is just like, you really need to work and like do that. You need to go somewhere else or go to a News 12 or go to a smaller station. And you know what? There's so many outlets out there now mm-hmm. that is even better than when I was doing it yep. because there's dot coms now. Yep. And you could do so many things, you know, to really get yourself out there and get more experience. So I really think that, you know, that really helped me. And, uh, you know, here I am. So I get asked this question a lot. And I never really know how to answer it because I'm not there yet, but but you are, so you could probably answer it better. If someone says to you, and they're from New York, should I try and do what I want to do, which is get on air here in New York and try all of the different smaller markets kind of around the, the tri-state area? Or should I move to like Bumblefuck, Indiana and work my way up to, you know, market, market jump 
kind of in the Midwest and then try and come back to the number one market in the country? You know, there's no answer to that. You do it your own way. Because when I was, you know, trying to get into this industry, people told me to go to Bumblefuck, Kansas, or, right. and I said, I do not want to go there and cover the Buttercup Derby and, <laughs> or, or, or the Kitten Olympics or something and not be able to come back and make $10,000. And, and, you know, I mean, I just was not willing to do that. Yeah. Um, so I took a, a gamble and I said, you know, I'm going to do it like this. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it in New York. I'm going to go work at the smaller markets and work my way up. Um, New York One is, is actually very reputable now. It's, mm-hmm. it's very hard to get in. But there's other places, you know, Fios or um, News 12s that you can really get into or start off as a production assistant, shoot, edit, learn to do the things so that when you go to a, meet a news director, you're going to be like, I could do X, Y, and Z. You become more of an asset. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there's a right way. I actually discourage if you want to start here, you can. You just have to like be willing to put the work in and work hard yeah. and be willing to like sit there and do a thousand stand-ups and make sure that you know, you're getting better yeah. and always get feedback. You know, It's so important to um, get feedback from people too. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to just say, "Oh, I'm in New York, I'm fine," you know. But you want pe- even today. I want feedback. I want I want to know what people think and how I can be better. I mean, you can always be better, right? Because if you can't grow, where are you going? Exactly. Yeah. So I I don't think that there's any right or wrong. I mean, I think you know it's good to like go somewhere. I mean, I grew up here, so there's a part of me that feels like I've been a little sheltered, mm-hmm. but it, because it's New York, that's a little different. Right. But, you know, if looking back, like if I could have gone to, you know, California or, or um, Chicago or, or something like that to start, you know, it, that's not bad. And now there's just so many more opportunities out there. Right. Like if, you know, you get a job in Chicago tomorrow, you know, to be an anchor and why not? Right. You know, it, it's a great city, great teams, you know, winning teams to cover. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that, you know, there's no right answer for that. There's no right path for anybody. Okay. You mentioned playing tennis. Do you think that if you hadn't had the passion to become a sports anchor that you would potentially have been a pro tennis player? If you had, stu- if you would put like all your energy into tennis? Well, funny story. So, you know, again, coming from a, you know, Hong Kong immigrant family, uh-huh. um, playing tennis, being a sportscaster, really not part of the equation <laughs> for the future, you know. Um, I used to like tell my mom, like, you know, I want to go play this tournament. You know, it's in Albany. Can you drive me? And she's like, I'm not driving you. A, it's a lot of money for gas, and it's a fifty dollar entry fee. And if you don't win a trophy, it's not worth it. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So I remember there was a couple of tournaments that I played in Queens, where you know the U.S. Open is, uh-huh. and I um, it was a thirteen and under tournament. And I got to the finals, but I got run, I got runner up. I lost in the finals, and my mom was so pissed because I had the runner up trophy, <laughs> and it was shorter than the than the championship trophy. And she's like, you know, I'm not paying for these if you don't win any more like big ones. And so I think then I was like, all right, I need to chill. I have an ultimate tiger mom. She's definitely <laughs> gonna like chew me out if I don't like win anything. And then you know, as you grow, like the competition gets bigger. So like I'm competing in other things. I'm like losing in the first round, and I'm like, all right, I don't want my mom to be like, you're wasting my money. <laughs> you know, the hard-earned money that I've earned for you to lose tennis tournaments. So definitely. I knew at some point at 13, 14, I smartened up and was like, this isn't happening. So 
I said, I want to be a sportscaster mom now. And she's like, oh God, why can't you just be like in finance and go work at a desk job <laughs> and make money and, you know, come home and, and that's it. And I'm like, well, no, I want to do this. This is, seems fun. And she's like, well, what do you make money? You don't make money doing this. <laughs> so I remember after college, um, I was a, I started out in print, actually. Mm-hmm. I was writing for a high school. Uh, not a high, I was a high school uh, sports writer, but I was writing for the Journal News up in Westchester. And I was making like $10 an hour, and it was a part-time job. And I lied to my mom because she's like, well, do you get health coverage? I'm like, yeah, I get health coverage. I, I didn't get health coverage until I worked there for six months. Okay. So I was taking a gamble that I was going to be okay for six months and I wasn't going to get sick. Uh So it was a terrible job, Alexa. Terrible. (laughs) Like, I graduated school. I had my diploma. You know, you graduated and you think you're on top of the world. Um, I was making $10 an hour working at night from 6 to 12, like, updating an agate on the newspaper. Like, people would call in, like, the field hockey team from Westchester High School call in and, and I would have to put in scores. I mean, during the day, I was by myself, like, watching Days of Our Lives, like, oh during the day. Might need that health care for, like, just depression. Yeah. Like, this is awful. Absolutely. <laughs> I needed to see a psychiatrist, I think. <laughs> um, so then my mom was, like, yelling at me. She's like, well, what are you doing with your life? What is going on? Like, what? So then finally I got a job, like, in the city as an, an editorial assistant for Sports Illustrated for kids. Mm-hmm. I had health insurance. She was all excited. Yay. Um, <laughs> exactly. So then, um, you know, I worked my way up and, you know, everything, you know, knock on wood, you know, worked out fine, but she was not very um, encouraging at times, you know, because when you come from a Chinese family, they just want you to work hard. These things, dream jobs, quote unquote, they don't really, you know, come true or they don't know how to go about it. They don't know what it is. But now she tells everyone, oh, I've always been there for you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's it's interesting, you know. I love my parents; they they are very supportive of what I do. It, it's just that that you know tiger mom relationship. You know, they always want you to do well, but then you know when you tell them that you can't do something, oh, oh my god, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> They're just crazy and out of their mind. And then another fun fact is, you know, um, my old news director at New York One, she told me that I was the first female Asian sportscaster in New York City. Wow. So when That's amazing. That is do you ever look back at that and just think like I'm breaking barriers even if you, you know, if it doesn't necessarily feel like that in the moment, but if you can step back and kind of admire, you know, what you've done? Um, you know, there are times, you know, my husband tells me to look back and he's like, you know, you've come a long way. Like, have you seen pictures of yourself in eighth grade? Like, I don't, I can't see you being on TV or anything like that. Um, he's right though. I, I was, I was a little awkward looking. I had those, those bangs that every like Chinese child had. I was like a bigger girl. Like, you know, I just wanted to like play sports, watch sports. So I didn't really care about, you know, going to the mall and meeting boys, you know, back then. Um, so yeah, I do look back and you know I feel like wow you know I've I've really had a battle an uphill battle because you know in this industry even today you know there are uphill battles with everything um and I think for me to look back and say oh you're the first female Asian sportscaster in New York I'm like wow yeah I guess that is a big feat you know even for just to be a female sportscaster in New York is a big deal totally um so to to represent that is really exciting and um I'm very supportive of people who are continuing to do it you know um whether you're a minority or not. But um, it's it's really, um, it's humbling too because, you know, I'm a Bronx kid and you just see like, oh, okay, like 
that actually happened to you. Right. Which, you know, I look back and I'm like, wow. And I, I'm getting all these like notes from people on Facebook, like classmates from like eighth grade. And they're like, wow, I can't believe you actually did this. And, you know, some of them, you know, not looking too good these days. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, I feel bad. And then back then they were like, I feel bad for you. And I'm right, like, so it's like an inverse yeah, kind of a exactly. thing. Yeah. So what obstacles have you faced being a woman in the industry? What has been the toughest time where you, has there been a time where it's been like, even though you're so driven and you've really wanted to do this, that you've ever thought about quitting or dropping out or, or maybe changing careers? Yeah, so one story always sticks out. So the news director at New York One, um, I when I was in college, I wanted to intern there. And um, she said to me, she's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, I want to be a sportscaster. And she was so nasty and so mean when I was in college. She says, well, everybody wants to be a sportscaster. Like, why? What do you have that, you know, uh, that sets you apart? And I was like 18. And I'm like, I don't know. This is what I love sports. And this is what I want to do. Yeah. And she's like, no, you're not getting the internship. So she she turned me down. I didn't get the internship. And she was just really nasty. And like, I went home. I remember I cried to my mom. I was like, this is, she's a bitch. She's terrible. Yeah. And then, so I worked my way up. Like I said, you know, I, I, I wrote and then I uh, worked um, in television production. And then when I was ready to give my reel, like they were telling me like New York One has an opening. And I'm like, I'm never getting this job. This lady's still the news director. Like she's, she's, she's totally going to turn me down. She's going to remember like, you know, whatever. So I met with her. I was like so nervous. It was my job interview with her, and lo and behold, she didn't remember who I was, A. And then, wow. yeah, she had no idea who I was. She goes, have, she did say to me, she goes, have we met before? And I go, no, we haven't. And Good for you. <laughs> she's like, she's like, oh, okay, your resume is impressive. Like, you have done a lot. And I'm like, yeah, you know. You're I'm, damn right, bitch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Listen to me now, sister. This is what's going on. Um, so... She was really impressed by with my resume, so she hired me. So the day I quit New York One, and she and I are close now, I said to her, I go, I just want to let you know something. I was like, you told me and when I was in college that I could never do this and that I was you were so mean to me, I went home and cried. And she's like, well, I got to tell people, like, this is not for everybody. And, you know, she's right. You know, right. being, being a sportscaster is not about going on air and looking pretty and having your makeup done. Um, there's work to be put in. It's not glamorous. As you know, Alexa, it's not a glamorous job. You're, you, when you're there at the stadium or a ballpark at, you know, 12 o'clock at night and everybody's gone home, there's yeah. nothing glamorous about it. Right. Um, so, you, you know, you're working hard. And um, she definitely, like, you know, put me in my place, mm-hmm. I think, looking back. Mm-hmm. But um, I appreciated that, though. Yeah. I think it was, now I appreciate it. But back then, I was like, what a bitch, you know? Right. Um, so I think, you know, I've experienced little samples of that throughout my career. Like, what are you doing? Do you know sport? Like, I hate when people are trying to test you, like, oh, you want to be a sportscaster? You know sports. Like, I wouldn't tell you if I didn't like sports. Right. Like, if I didn't like the circus, I wouldn't say, hey, I don't, I like the circus. Right. You know, it's not something, like, why is it something that I have to tell you to, like, make myself look cool? Right. It's just like, okay, I like it. You know, I'm telling you now, I'm not a big football, like, I'm a casual football fan. Well, and, I'm, and you're being honest about being it, honest too. You're not going to fake like you're some fan yeah. or like you're into something that you're not just to have people think that you're Golf something that you're not. Golf bores me. Golf completely oh, bores golf. me. Yeah, it completely bores me. I was watching the Masters, took four naps. I mean, it's, well, it's kind of, it's good to nap too. It is. It's got that light, like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> tone. I love golf. Tennis is actually a struggle for me. 
Oh, really? See, and I love tennis. Of course you do. Yeah. I mean, like, I wake up watching, like, small tournaments. Like, Well, and you watch stuff online. Like, you'll watch, you oh, know, yeah. stuff in Europe, right? Oh, yeah. When it, yeah, when I, there's I, this morning, I was watching the Barcelona Open. Of course like, you I, I mean, I'm, I, this is what I do. But you know what? If you're a sports fan, this is what you do. Like, I get, I understand that if you're a Ranger fan that you watch every little thing that happens with the team. So if you're like like my husband's a big soccer fan, he mm-hmm. watches every little thing. He watches highlights of like every little thing for like the smallest little tournament. Yeah. And like I do the same. So like if you're a sports fan, you all are united because you understand how it is to be a diehard fan. I know you're a diehard totally. Redskins fan. So like every little thing, you're like, oh my gosh, like I need to know. Yeah. So I I think that, you know, why would you lie and say, oh, I'm a sports fan, but you know, like I'm really not. Right. Like, so stop. What's you the know? point? Yeah. What's the point? What about sexism? Have you faced any of that or anything about your looks or, you know, so people say you don't know anything about sports. I feel like that's pretty universal for women in general, even if, you know, you're just a casual fan and you try and you know, you talk sports, guys will, will you know, try and contest you or, or test you and, and see what's going on. Um, but what about in terms of jobs that you've had where people have, you know, questioned your look or questioned you being where you're not supposed to be or, or anything like that? You know, growing up, I've I've always felt a little insecure with my look mm-hmm. because I'm Chinese mm-hmm. and I'm a female and I'm not, um, you know, toothpick thin. Mm-hmm. So I always have felt like, oh, I'm I'm not that person. I can't do it, you know. But all that is just in your head. It's just yeah. mind games with yourself, you know. Yeah. I, I feel obviously there are obstacles. You know, people are going to look at your hair. People are going to look at your makeup and what you wear. And you know what? Sometimes, unfortunately, that gets people places, mm-hmm. as we all see it. Um, but you always have to just believe in yourself. You know, I feel that if you present yourself in a proper way, hey, you know, I can I can look good, sound good, and do good. Mm-hmm. Those three things, well, okay, so what can you say about me? Right. You know, you really can't say anything about me if I can deliver. Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, you walk into a locker room sometimes and I do stand out because I'm the only, like, Chinese woman that's standing there with yeah. a microphone. <laughs> but, you know, if you ask the right questions or if you do the right things or you don't make a fool out of yourself, people are going to respect you. Yeah. And it's all about um, perception, too. Mm-hmm. You know, people who walk in there acting like a fan, like, just just leave. Just right. go away. And there are people like that, like, wow, I'm here. You know, I remember when I first went into, like, the Nick locker room as an intern. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, inside, I was like, holy shit, I'm here in the Nick's <laughs> locker room. This is awesome, right? <laughs> but then, you know, you got to be cool, calm, and collective on the outside. You know, inside, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is awesome. This is so cool. This is exactly what I want to do. Like, I'm around this. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you have to separate yourself. And, you know, I feel college kids these days, they just get way over their head sometimes. They they come in and they're just like, yeah, you know, I belong here and this is what I'm going to do. And they're going and asking, like, um, athletes questions with the mic when they go on shoots. I'm like, right. Who are you? Like, pipe down. So, (laughs) I mean, I I just think that, you know, there is sexism, but you have to fight it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been in the industry for almost 10 years now, and you're not in it if you're not able to fight it. Right. You know, the people who remain in this industry are the people that can fight it. Yeah. And if they will weed out if you're not able to sustain and, like, endure all this stuff. So, yeah, I, I experience it. All the time. How about anything uh, from players or coaches or anyone that you're covering? Has there any been ever been situations like that where you either felt uncomfortable or felt like this was weird or harassed or anything to that extent? Um, well, I have um, a great story. I 
do not like Marty Brodeur, okay. and that's to put it lightly. That, put, that makes two of us. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we're on the same boat. Um, I inter- Well, I went to a, a Devils game a few years ago, and he was just about to play in the Olympics. It was the Vancouver Games. And he um, had given up like three goals in one minute. They had lost that game. Um, so I was in the locker room. There was nobody there. There was just me. And I was like, oh, great. I'll have to ask him, you know, about this debacle. So um, he had played like 33 straight games without any rest. So that was the angle like, hey, you've played, you know, 33 straight games. Do you think fatigue is a factor? And he totally snapped at me, looked at me, glared at me and said, did you really ask me that question in front of everybody? He's like, that is the stupidest question that I've ever heard. My heart, Alexa, like sank. I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. This is happening right now. This is like real. Like I had pins and needles on my hands. I was like, oh my God, like this is so embarrassing. This is like arguably one of the greatest goalies of all time. And he's saying this to me. So you know what? Inside, I was shaking. But then on the outside, I had to stand true. I didn't say anything wrong. This is what was the scenario. This is what was going on. So um, I said, well, yeah, you gave up three goals in a minute. And, you know, fatigue could be a factor. No. He's like, why don't you ask my trainer? He'll answer that question. So I was like, okay, whatever. Like that, that was that. And yeah. I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with this man after, you know, he snapped at me like twice. I already said what I needed to say. Uh-huh. Um, well, you didn't so back down. I didn't back down. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was em- embarrassing. Yeah. Like I was like, oh God, like this is happening to me right now. I mean, I didn't say anything that was embarrassing, but he snapped at me. Right. So well, and it's in front of all of your peers. Yes. And it's somebody you're covering that you want to have a professional relationship with. Yes. And he basically snapped at you like he's your dad or something. Yeah, like you totally cross this line of trying to be professional, right? In this atmosphere, like what? Like, like dude, why? I'm just trying to do my job, right? Exactly. So, um, my like own little tiny revenge. Like the next day, I anchored the show, and he actually got benched. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I told the producer, I was like, make sure that you have those um, thoughts from yesterday, and that how he said this is a stupid question. Ask my trainer, and then I came out on camera. I was like, well, well. Well, look who got benched. <laughs> so that was one of that was my. I mean, he could care less, but that was my own personal. That's, victory. An, that's a good revenge story. <laughs> yeah, though. yeah, and to be able to put the sound on too. Yeah. yeah, I was like, make sure you cut it. Do like the little wipe and do all this like this cool effect to him saying that. And I come out and I say, well, well, well. Exactly. So that was that was my little embarrassing story, but my own little personal victory as well. That was like the most horrifying story of like all of them but it came full circle which is amazing <laughs> yeah it did yeah but but do you still have like a, a thing towards him where you're kind of like eh. yeah i don't yeah. i don't like him yeah and that's to put it lightly okay <laughs> <laughs> it's not a ridiculous question that you asked him not at no. all 33 straight games well, i mean even the rangers don't do that with lundquist they give, right. like especially yeah. back to backs you put in the backup you and give then him a he's day. playing in the olympics you know like i get it like you, there's gonna be it's fatigue yeah so it, it wasn't like i asked him something wrong or completely like out of you know, Rome. So I was just like, I'm not backing down and you shouldn't back down, Michelle. I was telling myself, I was like, you shouldn't back down. But inside I was like, oh my God, I just want to melt right now. (laughs) Good for you. We were talking to one of the producers at SNY, Chris Farina, who was there for your audition at SNY, which you had mentioned. Oh, Jesus. And he told a really funny (laughs) story about how 
he had you up there on the anchor desk. Oh, and, God, I can't believe you talked to him. And he said you ran through an A block and he said you were so nervous and it was so bad that you had to throw away the DVD. And then you started all over again and you were like a different person. You piped up, you were confident, you were ready to go and you breezed through it and you got the job. (laughs) And he was like, the transformation was amazing. He was like, I helped you out a little bit by throwing the DVDs away. But where do you, how do you transition when you have that crazy super anxiety when you've got an audition into, you know what? They gave me a redo. I can be cool, calm and collected now. Oh my God, that was Do you like, remember that audition a, well? Yes, I do, because Chris Farina reminds me of it every day. <laughs> That's why. Um, I love Chris Farina, but he does remind me of that all the time. Like, I'll make fun of him and he'll be like, <laughs> do you remember what happened eight years ago? Um, yeah, you know what? It was really nice of him. What happened was, was I wasn't used to like a whole half, like two block show that they were doing. And you know, New York one is all about like little one minute segments and stuff like that. So there was a big stack of papers Mm -hmm. and I completely miss like misplaced my papers. Uh So like my shot sheet was here and then I have a script here and then there was like a a vo and then there was a sot. And then I was like, Oh my God, like my mind was complete. Like I was so nervous, Uh you know, I was like, Oh my God, this is such a big deal. And so, um, yeah, the first block I was like, uh, I don't have this shot sheet. Like, and then he was really nice. He's like, okay, I'll go, don't worry, we'll do it again. So what I did was I said I took a deep breath. I was like, you know, and, and this is why, you know, like I love sports. It's like your one shot, yeah. you know, of getting it done. So mm-hmm. I'm equivalating it to like making sure that this is championship point or this is like a buzzer beater in my head. I'm like, look, Michelle, you're going to go big or go home. Uh Like you're either going to fail this audition or you're going to do well. So, you know, screw everything you're thinking of and put everything together and don't think of anything else. And that's the same thing how I feel when I do a show. Like my best and happiest moment of the day at work is that half hour that I'm in the air. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not thinking about anything. I'm not thinking about whatever. I'm just thinking about, like, what I like to do. Mm -hmm. So when I did that audition, you know, I really enjoyed it. You know, like, like doing the whole work of doing a show. Uh But then I was still like so nervous inside. I mean, there was a part of me, again, it's, it's fronting and make and looking cool on the outside. I might've looked transformed, (laughs) but inside I was like, holy shit. Like, all right, they're giving, they're giving me another chance. Like you better not fuck it up and you better not like embarrass yourself. Uh I just cursed. I'm sorry. Um, No, that's what we do on this podcast. Totally cool to do that. Um, So yeah, I mean, I was really nervous and, and I, I found some way to collect myself and that was like your one, like one moment that you have championship point, you're going to win Wimbledon and that's it. And that was like my moment. You know, and sometimes, you know, it's cheesy to say that that's what you think of when you have one thing or a live shot or something that you do. You're just like, you know what? Screw everything in your head. This is it. Just nail this. And that's it. Well, I think that focus is really important. And it's what people who are really successful are able to do. And I talk about like the Tiger Woods and guys who are just really able to key in on one specific factor and blow everything else off. Yes. If you can do that, you can be successful at jobs, especially that are super high pressure. Well, I mean, that's they're on another level, you know, like they right. miss a putt. That's it, you know, and yeah. or, or or whatever have you. But this is this is all about focus, you right. know, so there's a lot of sports in this to me because it's a mental game. Yeah, it's like you tell yourself, you know what, you're going to you're going to prove 
to these mofos, you are wrong, and then you're going to do it for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, so that's what I did. And, you know, I've been on auditions before where I've screwed things up, and then you just shrug it off, you know. But, like, that one, like, I don't know if it was because it was in New York, and I really wanted it, and it was it was here, and I had watched the Mets growing up, you know, being a New York kid. I was like, all right, you really want this. You really need it. Yeah. So I really, like, put my focus on it. Well, it's special that you were able to do that. That's a that's definitely a unique quality. Another thing that Farina told us about was that you I'm covered... I'm going to kill him, by the way, when I see him. <laughs> I got all the good dirt last night. Should I text him to be like, don't come to work today? <laughs> don't show up. Another thing he told me about was you being a sideline reporter for beach tennis. Oh, Jesus. Which I don't even I'm know what really that is. How do you play beach him? tennis? What is beach tennis? The ball doesn't get like stuck in the sand. It's just round over. The is it like ball- volleyball with rackets? No, the ball can never touch the sand. So it's like volleying. It's like uh, badminton. Okay. Badminton. Bad- 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 That's what I meant. Okay. Badminton. You hear me? Bad- <laughs> <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I can't speak English on this show. Um, yeah, that's what it's like. So basically, it, it was, okay, I got that gig because um, my agent knew I loved tennis. And he's like, oh, there's a great like freelance gig I got you. And I don't know if you think it's cheesy, but you get to go to these cool beaches around the country. There was in uh, the Hermosa Beach Open, the Manhattan Beach Open, um, the Miami Beach Open, and the Long Beach Open here on, on Long Island. And so it was basically beach tennis where you play with rackets, um, tennis on the beach with a volleyball net, and the ball can't touch the sand. And there are these rules that, um, you know, there's deuce. I mean, it's similar to tennis, but, you know, the the premise is that the ball can't touch the sand. So I did that. That show actually aired on SNY. Did you call it? or Were you sideline reporting it? What were you doing? I did play-by-play. Okay. I did play by play and it was so funny when I auditioned for that um, they were like wow because I just started dropping like tennis names I'm like oh and that overhead is so similar to Leighton Hewitt and they were like how do you know all these things about like (laughs) random tennis players and I'm like well I'm being a tennis fan and they were like oh well if you're a big tennis fan then I think you should do this even though it's a beach thing Um, I have to say that was one of the coolest jobs I've ever had sounds pretty cool I was on the beach like Calling a beach tennis game yeah. and um, Luke Jensen, mm-hmm. the Jensen brothers, he was one of them. Um, it was really fun. So I did that. And so people made fun of me when I got to SNY and they're like, wait, I saw you on SNY. You were wearing like shades <laughs> and like calling some beach <laughs> tennis game. Like, what is that? So Farina to this day still makes fun of me. Uh-huh. But I'm like, yeah, well, I'm on SNY now. So they're like, yeah, you're on beach tennis. Let's not get carried away. Um, so yeah, that, that was really fun. But it was fun. It was a good gig. So your tennis idol is Rafael Nadal? Um, it's Rafael your favorite? Nadal now. Uh-huh. And, and let me explain something. People okay. are like, why do you love Rafael Nadal? Do you, do you like love him? I'm like, I don't love him like, you know, little girls love Justin Bieber. <laughs> I love Rafael Nadal <laughs> because Rafael Nadal is so good mentally. He can be down like like two sets and like or or like down match point and he will come back and win. Mm-hmm. I, I admire like his mental toughness 
so much. He has such a heart of a champion that, you know, he I can never be like that. Like like you just talked about my focus, but my focus is nowhere near his because if I'm down match point, I'm like, yeah, I'm having a drink after this, you know. <laughs> but he's like, no, well, I'm more on the line for him. Yeah, yeah. I'm fighting. I'm I'm gonna do this. I have a will to win. So I I, I really admire like his focus and his mental toughness and his tenacity. Growing up, um, when I was little. Um, I was a huge Stefan Edberg, Steffi Graf fan. Mm-hmm. Loved Steffi Graf's forehand. Loved everything about her. I mean, she was also great. Um, and you know what? It's it's sad to see that Serena Williams is like on par with Steffi Graf in terms of accomplishments. But I just don't think that Serena is that great of like a champion in terms of her um, sportsmanship. I oh, think, interesting. I think like. You know, um, Steffi Graf was, was always humble. So you and, put her on a pedestal, kind of above. Yeah, you know? and whereas Serena, like I've seen her, you know, I've covered her. You know, she's she's just, you know, she's not very nice sometimes, uh-huh. and and sometimes like it's disappointing because I feel like little girls look up to her right. and she acts a certain way. I mean, look at her incident with the um with the um the ball judge, right? Like the um, the um the linesman. Like she said, I'm gonna stick this ball down your effing throat. Like that's just classless. Yeah. Come on, you're a champion. You're better than that. Why right. would you say that? You know. So I feel like she has. Um, she's a great champion. Don't get me wrong. I mean, she could kick my ass any day, and all of us <laughs> in this room. But I just think that you know, like her sportsmanship, her leadership is just, you know, not as great as some of these other, like Roger Federer, like Nadal. They're just so humble and yeah. so, like, great champions, mm-hmm. you know, like truly great champions all around. Have you met a lot of your tennis idols? Have you gotten to know them and been able to spend time with them? Um, I have met um, Federer and Nadal. Um, believe it or not, Did you I geek have... out when you met Nadal? Oh, my God, I totally, I totally geeked out. Like, <laughs> I have, um, true story, I have, I interviewed Nadal when he won the U.S. Open in 2013. I have a framed picture um, in my house that's specially framed. Like, it has, like, you know, tears of, like, um, like that when you look at the picture, like, the focus is, like, on the picture. Like, it's not just a regular picture frame. Uh-huh. It's, like, a specially made frame. Okay. And it's actually next to my wedding picture. Whoa. And, <laughs> so, they are just as important in the <laughs> life events of Michelle Yu. So, funny story, my husband is also named Rafa. He's Raphael also. And so all my friends are like, I can't believe that you found a guy named Rafa that you wanted to marry. And I'm like, no, it just was a coincidence. Um, And so he makes my husband always says to me, he's like, why is that picture next to our wedding picture? Like, why can't it be like some further down? I'm like, no, no, no. This is like great. So, well, honestly, that's not saying too much considering Nelson Figueroa told me last night you have a picture of him up on your fridge. I do, but that's only because, but that's only because, wait, 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 there. people need to know the real story before Nelson Figueroa goes and, and makes rumors. There is a picture because he and I were in the rumble together that same week. Uh-huh. So I have a, I have that like newspaper cut The rumble out. as in like you were in the paper. I was in the in paper. In the same positioning next yes. to each other, like the yes. stories. Yeah. It was the, he was on, he was like on the top story and mine was on the bottom. So like. Nelson Figueroa, of course, makes rumors now and is telling everyone that I have He's like, a I have a picture of, of it. Him. Do you want to see it? And I was like, yeah. not really. I'll ask Michelle what's going on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to show it to you. Like, it, it, it basically is like he was doing some 9-11 event and then I was in the bottom and, like, Steve Serby interviewed me. And that was the same, like, 
paper. Okay. For that week. So it has nothing to so do with Nelson. So let's clear that just, out. Yeah. It had nothing to do with Nelson. Just Figueroa. the layout of the paper. Exactly. To be close to yours. Exactly. Do you have an ultimate goal, career eyes, of what you want to do? Would you ever want to work for the Tennis Channel? Um, I would, you know, I, I like, you know, there's so many things, you know, now that I've been, you know, doing sports for 10 years, you know, I see different evolutions of the business that, you know, I like to, you know, dab and, and do stuff for, um, I would love to work for the tennis channel. That would be great. Like calling, you know, uh, in doing color or something, you know, for a tennis match would be really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, or like covering one of the grand slams. That would be really fun. I mean, I get to do it once a year here at the U S open for S and Y. So that's, you know, a little dose of that, but yeah, yeah, that would be really fun, but I still enjoy, you know, like what I do here. You know, I love covering New York sports and I love covering basketball. I'm not a Nick fan, but I still love covering the team. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Cause you know, what sports has a lot of drama yeah and like the drama makes it fun and um you know I, I I'm open to doing like a lot of stuff I, I I've dabbled obviously at beach tennis different kinds of things so anything you know really that tickles my fancy when it comes to tennis I'll be happy to do it the good thing about us and why though is because you were born in the Bronx and you're such a New York girl is that you get to stay here and make your career in New York City which not many people can say that they can do yeah absolutely you know I feel really lucky that I've been able to do that path. And that's why I discourage people who want to start their career in New York because, you know, I was able to do it. Like, I was, I, I mean, I had nothing. It's not like I had a connection, you know, like, it's not like my parents were the Vanderbilts or something like that. And they were able to be like, get me an in. Like, I really worked for it, you know, like I interned and, um, I remember back then, like, if I was interested in, like, um, a certain magazine to write for that I wanted to write for, I would go into the masthead of the magazine, mm-hmm. and I would, like, send letters. Like, I know people don't do that anymore, but send letters to, like, the editors and stuff and be like, hey, I've been, re- you know, I'm a big fan of the magazine. I've been reading for a long time. I-, I really, you know, would love to contribute. And, you know, like, I did everything from, like, scratch. And I think anyone who does can really do it, too, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and I think that is the part that I probably like think back and say, you know, this this was pretty cool because yeah. you really did it without a lot of, you know, like help. Well, I've always admired your career and you've been a huge influence on me. Super well, helpful you. to me and given me tons of advice. Of course. And it's always been fun to watch you as I worked at SMY. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We end every podcast with an embarrassing story. I don't know if you have one cooked up. You told us one earlier. But do you have anything embarrassing either in your life or your career that you can share with us? Kyle has one too, but do I don't know I? if we want to. I don't know if we want to get into your embarrassing do stories. I? You're pretty embarrassing. All yeah, the time. I, I handle that every day. So. Do you have anything that, that you could share with us listeners? I uh, well, that Marty Brodeur story is pretty embarrassing. It's pretty good, but you so. got but you got kind of revenge, so it came full circle. Anything um, that it's still kind of embarrassing for you? You're like Ugh, when you think back. Oh, I mean, when I like say names on the air that I don't know how to say, that's embarrassing <laughs> enough. I mean, sometimes you're just like looking at a shot sheet that's like fresh and you're like, uh, it, uh, oh, yeah, you completely botched that. <laughs> like, like I think there was one time, it was recent actually, Alexa, like um, the guy from Syracuse, Malachi, I called him one day, Malachi, uh, what did I call him? I think I was there. You said like Malachi. Yes, I said Malachi. <laughs> I was working that day. Yes, you said Malachi. I was like, we like Malachi. And I was like, oh, gee. And there were the, you know, the pronunciation was on the thing. And I don't know what I was thinking. I just said best. So things like that are embarrassing enough. And then like I would come down and Farina would be like, <laughs> you said Malachi. And it was Malachi. I'm like, thank you. So it's really good to always have producers, you know, like, 
you too, Kyle, that can remind you and say you were there. Yeah. Oh yeah. He keeps me humble all day long. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's all he does. So there's constant embarrassing stories every day, Alexa. Yeah. It's part of the job, right? It's part of the job. But you know what? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's true. Words to live by. Absolutely. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Kyle, thank you. Lance, thank you. Appreciate it. And let's go get a snack.